Amen. Amen. First Kings chapter 20. First Kings chapter 20. We're in the middle of a series on the life and times of Elijah the prophet. And the reason why we are calling it the life and times of Elijah the prophet is because not every week is Elijah really in the passage we're talking about. And this is the first of a couple of those instances as we finish out the book of 1 Kings and enter into the book of 2 Kings. Elijah is not even mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 20. And I think one of the reasons is because that last week we saw that Elijah had gotten himself into a very bad place spiritually, a very spiritually unhealthy place. And one reason why was because he tried to do too much and he tried to do it all by himself. And God reminded him that there are others around you that are capable of doing my will and my work as well as you. And so the prophet that we're going to see in the passage today was one of those that God told Elijah was still remaining in Israel even though the climate in Israel was not very good as far as their spiritual health goes. So today we're going to look at a couple of battles, a couple of wars that take place between the nation of Israel and Syria several thousand years ago. And we're going to see that as you read the Old Testament, and much of it is history and narrative, that there are still great spiritual principles that you and I can glean out of these Old Testament passages. We're going to see that again next week and the week after that as well. That's one of the things that makes the Bible the Word of God, is that it's just as alive today as it was when God gave it. It's just as as transforming in people's lives today if they will open themselves up and believe it as it was thousands of years ago. God has not changed and unfortunately, Man hasn't changed in thousands of years, even though you will hear people talk about the fact that we have evolved. Man still has the same needs, the same desires, the same wants that he's always had, and God is the answer to all of it. And so we're going to see today how that all unfolds as we begin to see the story of Syria and Israel. Now, one of the reasons why... Syria was even in a position to be able to attack Israel at this point was because Israel, like nations down through our history, were actually first weakened from within. And it was because they were weakened from within that they were vulnerable and susceptible to attack from without. That's how all the great empires and nations of the world have fallen And that should be a lesson to those of us living in this country as well. That we are going to be even more vulnerable and more susceptible to outside forces when we don't stay strong from within. So notice in 1 Kings chapter 20 that God's going to begin to unfold here our path to victory. Our path to victory. And certainly he does that with Israel here. But again, the principles can apply to our lives as well. Now, King Ben-Hadad of Syria assembled all his army along with 32 other kings with their horses and chariots. And he marched against Samaria and besieged and attacked it. Let's again remember in the history of Israel at this point, they were a divided kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. Jerusalem was the capital of that kingdom. And Israel was the northern kingdom whose capital was Samaria. And so many times in the Bible, as well as in history, Samaria and Israel are sort of interchangeable here. The bottom line is Syria is attacking the northern kingdom of Israel. What can we learn from that? Well, we can learn this. Attacks will come our way as well. We will be attacked as well. 
which is one of the reasons why we have to stay strong spiritually and not be so susceptible and vulnerable to attacks from without. But they will come whether we're ready or not. Listen to this verse from 1 Peter, where Peter says to Christians, Be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil's always looking for inroads and opportunities to attack us. The Bible also reminds us that we live in a world system that ultimately is opposed to the cause of Christ and hostile to the ways and will of God. And that's why the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't let this world squeeze you in or pressure you into their mold. And there will always be that pressure, if you will, coming from outside, wanting to make us like they are. We have to be strong. We have to be willing to stand up and to be, and to be willing to stand up for righteousness and truth and for what God has revealed is right in His Word. But there will always be that pressure to conform. Our own flesh, fallen as it is, is always going to look to be satisfied and pampered and always seek pleasure before following the will of the Lord. Remember, God's love is not a pampering love. It is a perfecting love. God's love wants to make us more like himself and build character into our lives. And many times that's painful. So the flesh always rejects, you know, the ways. They always looks for the easy button or the easy way out through life. And yet much of what we learn and some of the greatest benefits in our lives comes through being able to navigate and go through very difficult, challenging, hard times. And so we will be attacked as well. Notice this. Then in verse 2, he, meaning the king of Syria, sent messengers to King Ahab of Israel who was in the city. He said to him, this is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and your gold are, are mine, as well as the best of your wives and sons. Wow. And notice, the king of Israel replied, It is just as you say, my master, O king, and I and all that I have belong to you. He's the king of Israel. And yet he's calling the king of Syria his master. In the Hebrew, it means his Lord, you see. The one who rules. Wow, King Ahab is in such a weakened condition and Israel's in such a weakened condition that even though what they have is really theirs, they're willing to give it up and give it over to their enemy. See, just like King Ahab, we all have a choice. We can give in and give up what is rightfully ours, or we can fight for it. And here in this passage, you see that Ahab and Israel are in such a bad place that when the king of Syria says, I'm coming into your country, and this is what I want, they just roll over and say, fine. Here it is. It's yours. Folks, we can't be that way in our own individual lives as Christians. Because our enemies, our spiritual enemies, are always going to want to take more territory in our lives. And we've got to be willing to fight for who we are in Jesus Christ and what we have in Christ instead of giving it up and giving it over to our enemies. There's got to come a point where we take a stand, which is really the reason why I wanted to call this whole series on Elijah and the life and times of Elijah, take a stand. There are times to take a stand. And some of us maybe lately have given up way too much ground spiritually. 
We have continued to back up as the enemy continues to press. And there's got to come a point where we say, no more. There's always a choice, folks. Always a choice. We can always continue to give in to those forces and give up what is ours. Or we can fight for it and take a stand. Because notice what happens when any enemy, when we begin to give them a little foothold, a little room in our lives, they're never satisfied to take what they've just said they're going to take, then they always want to take more as well. Notice verse 5. The messengers came again back from Syria to Israel and said, this is what Ben-Hadad says. I sent this message to you. You must give me your silver, gold, wives, and sons. But now, at this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my servants to you, and they will search through your palace and your servants' houses, and they will also carry away all your valuables. Our enemy will always demand more. That's the way it is. That's why as Christians who have a relationship with Christ, we need to get to a point where we say, enough, no more. I'm not going to give in anymore. I'm not going to give up any more of who I am and what I am in Christ. There's got to come a point where I will stop. You and I start giving into the flesh a little bit, and the flesh is going to continue to demand more. We give into the world a little bit, and the world's going to keep asking for more. You give the devil an inch, and the devil's going to come back and want a couple more. Our enemies will never be satisfied with what we give them. They will always want more. And that's what the king of Syria was doing to the king of Israel. It happens in our lives all the time. And so we see it unfolding here in the history of Israel and the history of Syria. By the way, the words valuable here means anything that is precious, anything that, that was of value and worth to them, they were going to take it all. Not just the silver and gold, not just the wives and the sons. They were going to take it all. They were going to completely drain them dry. And that's, again, exactly what happens to us when we be able to give over and give up rather than fight for what we should fight for. So verse 7, the king of Israel, he did something wise here. He summoned all the leaders, all those who had authority in the land of Israel and said, notice how this man is looking for trouble. That's an understatement. Indeed, he demanded my wives, my sons, my silver and gold, and I did not resist him. And notice what the leaders and the people say to the king. Do not give in or agree to his demands. It is time, king, to take a stand. It's time not to give in anymore to this enemy. It's time not to give up any more of what belongs to us. He will never be satisfied. He will continue to ask for more until we are not a people any longer. Folks, from this story of a battle between Israel and Syria many thousands of years ago, the lesson we can take from it is this. Is it time for us? to take a stand in our own lives? Have we given up too much spiritual territory to our enemies? Have we allowed our enemies to come in and continue to take and take and take? And finally, the best advice we could have is the same advice the leaders of the nation of Israel gave to their king. Don't give in anymore. Don't give in anymore. Notice this. So in verse 9, the king said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Say this to my master, the king. I will give you everything you demanded at first from your servant. But I am unable to agree to this latest demand. So their messengers went back and gave their report. You think Ben-Hadad was happy about this resistance? 
No, he wasn't happy at all. The Bible says Ben-Hadad sent another message to him. May the gods judge me severely if there is enough dirt, enough ashes left in Samaria for my soldiers to scoop up in their hands. In other words, we're going to just pulverize you. There's not going to be anything left because you have chosen to resist. See, when we begin even as individuals, to stand up to our enemies, to say no. It's not like our enemies are going to go, oh, well, okay, you're standing up. Well, I'm just going to back off. No, we're going to have to fight. And we're going to have to fight to even maybe regain the territory we lost. But the fight is worth it. And God will be on our side when it's the fight and battles that he wants us to fight why the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We need to approach it from that perspective. I love, you know, there's not much Ahab does that's worth following his example up as the leader of Israel at this time. But this one sentence that he gives to the king of Syria actually is a very wise thing. Notice in verse 11, the king of Israel replied back to the king of Syria, tell him the one who puts on his battle gear should not boast or glory like one who's taking it off. We, you know, my parents, when I was growing up, would tell me, don't count your chickens before they're hatched or, you know, statements like that. That's sort of what King Ahab is saying back to to the king of Syria. Hey, the battle's not over yet. So don't start bragging as if the battle's already won. Because we know the Bible even teaches the battle isn't always won by the strongest army. We see that in sports all the time. The underdog does win every once in a while. The one who was not expected to. So we know that happens in life. And certainly that doesn't even build into the equation God and where he falls out in all of this. So Ben-Hadad, verse 12, received this reply, and he and the other kings were drinking in their quarters. They were underestimating Israel, their enemy, if you will, and the king of Israel, and so they were taking this pretty, pretty lax. You know what? These guys are so... They're such a small force. They they don't even compare to us. We're just going to get drunk. And we're going to celebrate our victory before we've ever even went out on the battlefield. He ordered his servants, oh, get ready to attack. So they did get ready to attack the city. Verse 13. Here's where you see the hand of God now beginning to intervene on behalf of Israel. A prophet visited King Ahab of Israel and said... This is what the Lord says. And the principle that we can gain from that in our lives is this. We must trust in the word of God. And we must be listening to the word of God at all times. The prophets in the Old Testament were symbolic, obviously, of the word of God. They were spokesmen for God. And when the prophet of God comes to the king and said, this is what the Lord says, the word says here also in Hebrew means promises. God is giving the king and the nation of Israel this promise. He says, I am going to hand it, the Syrian army, over to you this very day. And notice before he says that, God asked the king, Do you see this huge army? And they were big. They were bigger than the army of Israel. Remember last week we said, don't look at things from an outward external perspective. The enemies of God will always be bigger, always have more resources, always be maybe in a better place strategically than the people of God. That doesn't stop God from giving victory when God wants to give victory. That's why we do not walk by sight. 
We are encouraged throughout the word of God to walk by faith. Faith in what God says. Faith in what God promises. Folks, we always need to listen and believe and trust in the word of God. But it is especially vital and of necessity and important to do so when we are in the battles of life. Because it is going to be intimidating at times to stand up to our enemy and say, I'm not going to give in anymore. I'm not going to be pushed around anymore. I'm going to take a stand. You think about the story of David and Goliath, this young teenage boy. There's the whole nation of Israel's army out there, and no one was willing to go out and face the giant Goliath, the Philistine, except David. And it wasn't because David was the strongest. It wasn't because David was the greatest soldier. It was because David trusted in the word of God. And David went out on that battlefield against his giant because of the word of God and the promises of God. And that's how God wants all of us to face our battles in life. Not by what we see. Not by the circumstances in which we find ourselves in, but by hoping and believing and trusting and placing our confidence in what God says. So notice, again, God says through the prophet, Do you see this huge army? Look, I'm going to hand it over to you this very day. Then you will know that I am the Lord. In this verse... The word you is singular. Later on, it's going to be plural. The reason why that's significant is God is basically saying through his prophet to King Ahab, King Ahab, I'm doing this so that it will be a testimony and a witness to you personally that I exist. Because up to this point, In Israel's history, even though Israel has been led by King Ahab, King Ahab, remember, led Israel down into further idolatry and rebellion against God. And up to this point, Ahab, you know, is living as if God, Jehovah, doesn't exist, even though he's the king of God's people. Even though he witnessed Elijah, the prophet of God, overcoming the prophets of Baal and God sending supernatural fire to consume the sacrifice on Mount Carmel last week. Even though he saw Elijah run ahead of him on foot in front of his kingly chariot. Up to this point, none of it has affected him. He has a hard, stubborn heart. And so God once again is showing how merciful And how patient he is as God, even with this rebellious king. And he's saying, I'm going to give you one more opportunity, King Ahab, to wake up and know that I am God. Are you going to listen? Are you going to respond to what I am doing? Because out on that battlefield today, even though the, the nation of Israel is going to be outnumbered greatly by the Syrian army... I'm going to hand them over to you. Will you then believe in me, King Ahab? And what this reminds us of is this. The battles of life are also spiritual opportunities. They are spiritual opportunities for us to know the Lord in a greater way. To learn more of Him. To see Him in action. And to truly begin to build our faith stronger and stronger. See, we, we sometimes run away from the battles of life. Because a lot of times we think, what good are the battles of life? Well, when we respond properly and we're listening to the word of God and trusting in it, the battles of life can be great spiritual opportunities for us to grow and to increase and to become stronger, and to see God in ways we would never see Him if the battles would never come, and to see what God can even do through us and through us when the battles of life come. So just like God said through His prophet to King Ahab, I'm doing this, King, so that you personally will know that I am the Lord, God would say the same thing to us throughout our lives. I did that, Jeff. 
so that you would know that I am the Lord. Now notice what God says next. Ahab asked in verse 14, by whom will this be accomplished? That's a good question. In fact, that's a question even Christians ask a lot of times to God. Well, God, if this is your plan, if this is your will, how's it all going to come about? By whom? And don't miss what God says. God says through his prophet, this is what the Lord says. By the servants of the district governors. The word servant in the Hebrew literally means boys or very, very young men, youths. God's going to give victory, but God's going to do it his way. And so what we learn here is we must trust in God's means and methods and ways of victory. Because God's victories many times comes in a different way than ours would. Or how we would do it. Or how we would plan it. God says the leaders of this victory aren't going to be the mightiest military commanders in Israel. No, I'm going to take boys. And I'm going to win this victory over this huge Syrian force with boys in the lead. God usually works with what we have, as unlikely as it may be. Let me repeat that. In life, and in the battles of life, God usually, not always, but usually will work with what we have, as unlikely as it may be. See, King Ahab would have probably been going, okay, so what foreign country can we look at, God, so that you can bring in reinforcements and give me some of the best soldiers in some of these foreign countries to come in and then we'll beat Syria? No, God says, you've got the means of victory right within your... Because as long as I'm on board with it, I can even use boys to whip the Syrian army. Really, God? That's the way you want to go with this? I want you to trust me. I mean, we see this plan, the way God works all throughout the Bible. I'm sure to Joshua and Israel at this time, whenever they were getting ready to defeat Jericho, this was a strange plan. You want me, Joshua, and the Israelite army to march once around the city of Jericho every day for a week, and then on the seventh day, you want us to march around seven times? And then the walls are just going to fall down, and we're going to be able to just rush right in? God says, yeah, because that's my plan. And I just want you to follow my plan. God's means and methods must be followed. If King Ahab would have said, that's ridiculous, God. I'm going to do it my way. He would have ended up in defeat. And so what we learn from this is, even when we're in the battles of life, we've got to make sure that we are fighting the battles that God wants us to fight and that we're fighting them in God's way. That's the only way of victory. And so what this also reminds us of is this. Are we... Choosing to enter into the battles that God truly wants us to? Because sometimes we enter into battles, if you will, that God doesn't want us to be a part of. I've done that in my life. And I've suffered defeat for it. I got involved in a battle that God never wanted me to get involved with. And I paid for it. But the opposite of that is also true, as we see here. That when we enter into a battle that God wants us to be involved with, He'll be there. And He will be the means of victory. And He will give us the means of victory. And all that is up to us is to follow God's means of victory. And we'll be victorious no matter what and how big and how intimidating the enemy may be. That's also true. Because the battle is the Lord's, the Bible says. So then Ahab asked this, okay, 
Who will launch the attack? And God says through his prophet, you will. The boys will be right behind you. But you're the king. You're going to launch the attack. See, another principle here. We need to take part in what God is doing. We need to do our part in the battle. Many times Christians, we face a challenge or a trial or something, and and, and we pray like this. Well, God, just take it from me. And then a day later or a week later or a month later, we're still dealing with this. And we begin, because we're listening to the enemy, to think that God doesn't care. Uh, for some reason, he, he just doesn't want me to be delivered from this. And, and he's not helping me any. Because I'm praying very diligently, God, take this away. And I just keep dealing with it. What's up with that, God? Because, again, the principle throughout the Word of God is that God will do it. But he wants to see that we're willing to do our part. And there are many Christians that, you know, they want to see victory in their life. They want to see deliverance. They want to overcome all these things. But are they doing their part? Are they faithful in prayer? Are they faithful to reading and studying the Word of God? Are they faithful to coming to church And being part of a local church and getting strengthened and encouraged that way. Are they faithful in their worship and praise of God? All these things. And God would say, but you just want me to do it all. You're not willing to do anything. And we'll never achieve victory in our lives as long as we're not willing to go out there and do our part. When we begin to do what we know we're supposed to be doing, that's when we begin to see God work. God isn't going to do it all. God wants to see us do something as well. That's why he tells Ahab, I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to hand the Syrian army over to you, but you've got to launch the attack. You've got to step out by faith and show the whole nation and other people that you are trusting in me for this victory and not in yourself and not in your military might or in your military skill. You're trusting in the Word of God. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives today. He wants His people to be willing to step up and step out by faith and show this world that we truly believe in Him and trust in what He said. So Ahab assembled the 232 servants of the district governors and all of that. And basically these next few verses basically tell us that when the king of Israel goes out with these boys, the boys just begin, God just supernaturally begins to work through these boys and literally strikes down the Syrian army. And after these boys get done with that, the Bible basically, the Syrian army just took off and fled. And Ben-Hadad, notice in verse 30, he escapes on horseback with some of his horsemen. And so the Bible says the king of Israel marched out, struck down the horses and chariots, and they thoroughly defeated Syria. That's the way to victory. But notice this in verse 22. We're not quite finished yet. This prophet visits the king of Israel again and instructs him, Go, fortify your defenses. Determine what must be done. For in the spring, the king of Syria will attack you again. What do we learn from that? That we must continually strengthen ourselves and stay prepared for further attacks. The enemy may retreat for a while. We may get a break for a while, but just like the king of Syria, he's going to go home, he's going to lick his wounds during the winter because they usually didn't fight in winter. And in the spring, he's coming back and he's going to come back even stronger the next time. And that's why the prophet is giving the king great spiritual advice here. 
The words fortify mean to be strengthened. The word determine means to discern or perceive what you must do. The word do here means to put in order, to attend to. What should be the priorities? If you and I right now are not in the midst of a spiritual battle in our life, then we should be preparing for the one that's coming. See, we should never feel like, oh, I'm in a pretty good place right now and everything's going good, so I can just sort of put it on cruise control and just let it slide. You and I can never let our spiritual walk with God and our spiritual life slide. Because again, we're either going forwards or we're going backwards. And we can never get complacent. And we can never relax spiritually. That's why I tell Christians all the time, listen, it's great that you take some time off and have vacations and all that. We talked a little bit about that last week. But make sure you never, as a Christian, take a spiritual vacation. Make sure you never just check out spiritually for a while. Because you and I will pay for that decision and choice every time. Every time. Because our enemies don't take any time off. They'll just retreat for a while in order to reform and attack one more time. And that's exactly what the prophet's telling the king. In fact, in verse 23, Now the advisors of the king of Syria said to him, Their God is a God of the mountains. And here's where we weren't wrong. We fought him on the mountains. That's why they overpowered us. But if we fight them on the plains... We will certainly overpower them. Next principle here. Our theology always determines how we fight life's battles. Even even in Syria, those who didn't believe in the God of Jehovah, the one true God, they still believed in God's. And they still had beliefs that drove them. and, And they still had a philosophy of life by which they faced life's battles. And so they basically came to the conclusion, here's what we believe. Here's where we went wrong last time. We fought these people who are mountainous people on their territory. We won't make that mistake the next time. We will fight them on flat ground and we will flatten them on flat ground. Because that was their theology. That was their beliefs. And folks, whether you even are an atheist or whether you are an agnostic or whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it makes no difference. You still have a belief system that determines how you fight life's battles. You either turn to yourself because you don't believe in God or you, you do something. You have some strategy by which you face and fight life's battles with. And that was true here. And that should be true in our lives only to this extent. Our belief in God and what God has said should always determine how we fight life's battles. Are we fighting life's battles as if God doesn't exist even though we say He does? Are we facing life's battles saying we trust in the Word of God but when we face a challenge in life, it's like we don't even live by the Word of God. And so I love this line, verse 24. The king of Syria says, so do this, dismiss the kings. Can I just say this? The word kings there in the Hebrew literally mean politicians. Can I say that would be a pretty good thing right now? (laughs) Dismiss the politicians. They didn't help us at all. And he says, command and replace them with military commanders. So they mustered an army, just like before, and they're going to go against Israel on the plains. So in the spring, the Bible says in verse 26, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrian army. They marched against Israel once again. And the prophet of God, verse 28, visits King Ahab once more. And says, this is what the Lord says. Because the Syrians said that I am a God of the mountains and not a God of the valleys, I will hand them over again. 
Here's another principle. We must never limit God or put him in a box. See, that's what the Syrians did. Okay, we'll even maybe give you the fact that you have a God and he's a God of the mountains, but your God's not a God of the mountains and the valleys. Oh, they don't know our God very well, do they? Our God created it all. He's a God of the mountains and the valleys and whatever you want him to be. He is the Lord of hosts. And we must never limit our God. Is there anything too hard for him? No. Is there anything impossible for God? No. And the Syrian army was going to learn that lesson the hard way. By the way, as I shared last week, Here's another great thing about our God. Not just in life's battles, but even in our failings and failures and falls and all that. Let's also remember this. God is not only a God of the mountains, meaning when everything's going good and we're on top of things. Our God is also a God of our valleys as well. He is there with us and for us when we are at our worst, when we have hit rock bottom, when we are done. He is there. He is always there. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is a God of the mountains and the valleys of our life. And there is nowhere we can go where we can escape the presence and the love of God. And notice now God says once again, though, through the prophet in verse 28, then you, this time you, unlike singular before, is now plural in the Hebrew. So now God is saying, first, I I gave this victory so that Ahab would know that I exist and I'm the Lord. Now I'm going to overcome the Syrian army one more time, but it's now because I want all of Israel to know that I am the Lord. So again, the battles of life, Our spiritual opportunities. Are we learning who God is through life's battles? Are we growing in who God is through the battles of life? Well, not going to take time to go down through the victory again, but basically God does the same thing he did the first time. He gave a supernatural victory for Israel over a greater force, the Syrian army. But here's where the story takes a little bit of a turn now. God had wanted Israel to completely destroy and wipe out this army, including the king, King Ben-Hadad. He had put up with King Ben-Hadad and what Syria had done long enough, and so he wanted the nation of Israel to be his instrument of justice against Syria. We're not going to go into all the wicked, unbelievably cruel things that the nation of Syria had done up to this point and what King Ben-Hadad had done, but part of it was child sacrifices and all of that. And God said, enough. But guess what? After God gave Israel and King Ahab victory, King Ahab gets buddy-buddy with King Ben-Hadad. And he wants to have some kind of sort of agreement and covenant and and treaty with this guy because it's very self-serving. So that as the king of Syria grovels in front of him, the king of Syria will be willing to give up some of the things that the king of Israel really wants. That's why in verse 34, the Bible says, Ben-Hadad said to King Ahab, Oh, I'll return the cities my father took from your father. And you may set up markets in Damascus just as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab then said, I want to make a treaty with you before I dismiss you. So he made a treaty with him and then dismissed him. Ahab did something really bad here. He made a deal with the enemy. God doesn't want us to make deals with the enemy. And because he allowed Ben-Hadad and Syria to hang around, guess what happened in a few years? They became a thorn in the flesh of Israel over and over and over again. Because they just didn't deal with it 
when God said, here it is. Here's your chance. And what we learn from this chapter as well as this. God's victories are complete victories. God doesn't give a half victory in our lives. When God comes into a life, when God does something, He wants to do it completely. When Jesus, the Son of God, was here on earth, and He went around healing people, He didn't just give them half their sight back when He healed the blind. He gave them all their sight back. When He healed the lame, they were totally healed. It was indisputable, undeniable. It was complete. Any healing, any deliverance that God ever gives, any victory that God gives in our lives, it's to be complete because that's the way God works. And God wanted this victory over Syria to be a complete victory. That's when you know it's of God. Whenever you and I try to overcome something in our own power, in our own flesh and wit and wisdom, we might, we might overcome it a little bit for a while, but it's going to come right back on us and it's going to be part of our lives and it might even be more entrenched and it might take over even more than what it did before. Because reformation, what man tries to do to fix himself, never is a lasting, permanent, complete solution. The Bible teaches it is only transformation by God from the inside out, not from the outside in, that brings true freedom and deliverance to our soul and spirit. And when God enters into a life, He wants it to be complete. He wants it to be total. And that's where the king, at the end of this story, went wrong. Even after the victories that God gave him. Even in the way God gave him these victories. His heart was still hard. His heart was still stubborn. And he wasn't willing to totally surrender to the ways and will of God. He still wanted to do things his way. And that's a really dangerous place to be. When we are that stubborn. That we continue to see how it could be and the way God wants it. And yet we go, no, God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. And that's what Ahab did. Folks, God wants us to learn from the word of God. And to encounter him in a fresh way. And God was using this story of the battles between Syria and Israel to illustrate and to, to bring alive principles that are still true in our lives today. And one of those things that God wants to say to us is this. Have you given up too much to the enemy? Have you given in for too long? Is it time to take a stand and say no more? Because just as we saw here today, we all have a choice in life. And we have a choice in the midst of the battles of life when we are attacked. We can give in and give up what is ours or we can fight for it with everything we've got as we know God is actually doing it through us and with us. And we are trusting not in ourselves for victory. Not in the resources that we can accumulate. But we are trusting in God's means of victory. And we are trusting and placing our confidence in His Word. God is saying to His people today, just as He did to the nation of Israel thousands of years ago, what will it be? Are you willing to take a stand? And to stand for me? And to stand for truth? And to stand for what's right? Regardless of the pressure and the attacks you may be facing. Let's take a stand. Let's pray. God, I... 
I thank you for including history in the Word of God. Because from your perspective, mankind should be able to look at biblical history or any history and learn from it. And yet as intelligent as mankind thinks he always is, it seems that man never really learns from history. Because we never go back and see the struggles and battles and even nations deteriorating, kingdoms falling, and somehow we continue to repeat the same mistakes over and over again that other people who've gone before us made long ago. It seems like we never really learn our lessons. It seems like we never get out of history and what's happened before us, things that could help us to prevent it from happening again. We just keep repeating and going down the same path over and over. Lord, we acknowledge the answer's you. We've got to quit looking within ourselves and to ourselves for the answer. And we got to look up to the God of glory and of heaven. And we've got to look to you for our answers. Lord, maybe today there is someone here, one person, who heard this message loud and clear from you today. And they are saying, Lord, I'm taking a stand. I'm not going to give in or give up what is mine in Christ anymore. I'm going to fight for what's mine and what you've given me. Lord, help us all to be stronger today. From the message in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.